Welcome back to the She Does This podcast. I'm your host, Geordie Lucas. This week, I'm joined by actress Amy Ruffle, who has recently returned to Australia from living in LA. We discuss the somewhat damaging effects of the acting industry, as well as how we can look after ourselves during this pandemic. Amy also gives a really honest insight into what it's like living with an eating disorder and why she's determined to use her social media presence for good. So let's get straight into the episode with Amy Ruffle. So I'm joined by Amy Ruffle, who is an old friend of mine and a fellow actress. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the She Does This podcast this week. I wanted to start off and just give our listeners a little bit of a background on yourself. So tell us who you are, where you're from, and just your background in acting. Um, Hi, thank you so much for having me, first of all, and um, giving me something to write on my calendar for today (laughs) as a person in the in Melbourne I was just stoked to be like I can put on makeup for for you know a reason today. this is so fun so I'm from Melbourne um, born and raised here and um, after high school I studied musical theater which is um, my like one true love and um, started in that and then um, because I guess the industry in Australia is quite small um, branched out into like film and television as well um, and have been fortunate enough to work in that um, and then use that to move over to the United States and um, more recently um, up until the world exploded I was living in Los Angeles um, working mainly in like alt comedy which um, was a real like left turn but a really great left turn um, doing like live theatre and improv comedy there um, until yeah uh, returning back to Melbourne when all of this um, exploded. And we're going to talk all about that explosion later. But most of your fans um, and your following from Instagram is from your time on Mako Mermaid. So tell me about your experience on the show. Um, It was the best and the hardest job I think I will ever do. Um, It was my first job too. So I really had like first proper job and I had no idea what I was walking into. Um, But the I guess physical challenges presented to film something you know underwater and that side of it was um so cool uh we got to train like do swim training and increase our um breath capacity and things like that underwater which was so fun um I come from like a athlete background so I loved that training side of it um but then I guess the reality of filming in the water in winter is um like it looks beautiful on screen, but the day to day of that, when it's like five thirty in the morning and you're freezing your little butt off in an ocean, you're like, what is this job? This is crazy. And you would have been up really early in makeup and wardrobe to get that mermaid's tail on, ready to start shooting for the day, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, every day it was like if your alarm was in the fours, it was a good day. But most days, like you were up at three, which we shot for seven months, and so it's like. A very um, specific lifestyle, I'll say that. Um, But it was like the best training for any job I've done since because I think it really like gives you such a good foundation of if you can do a job that is physically demanding in that way as well as the normal demands of acting, then, you know, any other job since when it's like, oh, you just need to stand and talk to someone. I'm like, cool, that's great. I don't have to have my eyes open in chlorine or like be like doing stingrays and stuff. I'm fine. (laughs) So you said before, and we all know the industry, the creative industry in Australia is really small and to work full time 
as an actor, you know, unless you're on a show like a series like Micro Mermaids or Neighbours or Home and Away, it's a little bit unrealistic to sort of have a full-time income. So you moved to LA. What was the process of making that decision like? I mean, because I, I mean, I did it as well when I was 20 and it was a huge decision to make. How did you sort of go about making that decision to uproot your life and move over there? Like looking back now, and I think like uh, having this pause time during the pandemic is really interesting, but I feel like that was just what you thought you were supposed to do in a lot of ways. Like I have loved my time over there and um, I don't think I would have come back if this hadn't have happened. But I think the initial test to do it is like, well, you train here in Australia so you can go over to America and then like that's the proper thing. Like this is almost university and then you go and you like graduate and you work. Like that's just the weird, um, I, I, I felt like perception um, as someone entering the industry because it didn't feel viable to like build a full-time career here, um, which I don't love that. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's right either, but I think I was brainwashed to be like, that's the pathway, that's what you do. And almost like if you succeed over in LA, then you can come back and do whatever you want in Australia. So it was like a weird, like, I don't know if any of that makes sense, but um, I think that no, it does. <laughs> in my mind, it does. <laughs> like we both did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I mean, I was 20 when I moved over there. I feel yeah. like you have to be young and naive. Like no, you don't have to be young and naive. But I think that helped me. Like a certain level of naivety really helped because I wasn't fully thinking about what it actually entailed and moving yeah. over there. So when you're really young and, you know, you're like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you're like, yeah, I'm going to move over to L.A., whereas now sitting here 28, I'm like, You've got to like work everything out. You've got everything to sort out. You can't just do that. Yeah. 20 is so young, Jordy. That is unbelievable. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think you're right because now there are just so many more factors into making that decision. Like at the time, um, I feel like maybe you were the same, like the blind focus is career and that's really all that matters slash like defines your mm. life and your um, value and stuff like that. Whereas now career is still so important to me, but it's a, a broader picture. It's a balance of like, what is my day-to-day life? What are my friendships, my community, my uh, family, all of that? Like it all has to enter into play. And I think mm-hmm. that initial just like you just, I didn't even think of that. It was like, those things weren't important. Um, and now mm-hmm. it would have to be something like really important to make me want to pack up and move again. Yeah. How did you find the industry over there I mean I have my own sort of feelings about about it now and it was a few years ago that I was there but how do you how do you feel like it it um affects your sort of level of self-confidence your overall well-being how did you feel competing over there because it is it is competing really yeah for sure there's only a certain amount of jobs um I think the most important thing is like the industry is what it is and in some ways is getting better. Um, but I think it's your relationship to it, which is the most critical thing. And um, in the, my younger years, that was like all that mattered to me. I put all of my energy into that. And ultimately, the result is out of my control. And so putting everything um, on something that I have, like I can to a degree, I can work as hard um, as I want on something, you know, like uh, I have some level of control, but I'm not the one making the decision. 
And so being yeah. in that mindset and like um, not really having a life of my own outside of that was that was bad. So I had to really like readjust my um, relationship to the industry and what my life looked like outside of it so that if I book a job, great, fantastic. Like someone's stupid enough to pay me to do something that I would do for free, but don't tell them. <laughs> the win. But if I don't book a job, like my day-to-day life is fulfilling and meaningful enough that I'm not like every audition being like, save me from this existence. I was like that for, for a hot second. <laughs> yeah, that's what it got like for me towards the end. And that was when I realized I needed to get out. I think when you go over there and like if you don't have a community if you don't have hobbies like things like that mm. and you're just constantly being told no and there's nothing really in your life that is a yes like that's miserable no one deserves to live like that yeah it's really hard and I feel like like for me a lot of the time I was just sitting around waiting for the phone to ring and yeah you know yeah it's really it can be completely soul destroying but also there's a really exciting part of that city as well like when you're on a roll auditioning and you're getting callbacks and things like that it's like amazing but yeah there's just that side of it that is is hard isn't it I think it's like anything like you have to find balance like so that um you're not going to go into a room and audition well if you're just sitting around waiting like whereas if you're way to live a fulfilling life like that stuff gives you confidence and value whereas when I was like in that you know sitting at home waiting like I don't feel good about myself I'm not like doing things that give me um like positive feelings and so you walk into a room regardless of how much you're trying or acting like that Mm -hmm. energy is like just so obviously reeking out of you so it's really about and it's not easy to find uh, ways to do that, but I think so important to just have more than thing that you care about. <laughs> so what did, a, what did a normal day or week look like for you over there? Um, I mean, it like what is a normal week for that's someone true. that's creative? Um, what I ended up um, finding a lot of joy in was this like improv comedy community mm-hmm. Um and more specifically, it gets even like nerdier and dumber, but musical improv, which is like <laughs> you get together and you make up songs. Um, I'm truly, it's embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> but I loved doing that because um, you got to choose like when and how you were creative. It didn't matter. Someone wasn't like the godkeeper of like, you can do a show or you can't, like you could have a facility to be creative and also the way you looked didn't determine it. Like in improv, you can play a 60 year old man. You can be a child. You can be like a sock in a washing machine. Like (laughs) it's so liberating um, to not have your creativity limited by your physical appearance, which is so much of um, film and TV. So like my day more around that and the community there. And then like how I could be of service to that community rather than my goal being solely like self-indulgent it was more like how do we as a group like grow and move together and I think that helped me um, not be so obsessed with (laughs) obsessed with myself (laughs) urban crush are smoothies made simple delicious smoothie sachets made from 100% real fruit and vegetables with no added sugar nothing artificial and are suitable for vegans and vegetarians 
Simply add your smoothie powder to a bottle of water, shake and enjoy. Want to win $250 worth of Urban Crush smoothies plus an original Urban Crush shaker? To be in the running, DM the code word Simple Smoothie to She Does This by August 5th, 2020. So obviously we're talking now, we're both on uh, the internet recording remotely because we're social distancing, Um, but we're both in Melbourne. So tell me why and when you came back from LA. Um, so I think my flight out was on the 25th of March, but, um, on the 12th of March was when we locked down over there. Um, it was like the day before the NBA got canceled. And I remember when, cause at that time it was still like, what is this thing? There was so much, um, yeah. unknown. and then when the NBA was canceled, it was like, Oh boy, this is big. Like they don't stop for anything. Um, and I, really wanted to stick it out because at that point it was like, we're just going to shut down for a month and we'll be fine. Um, Then um, like, yeah, I wasn't able to work. So no income. Um, My health insurance got canceled because um, there was a clause in it that didn't cover pandemics. Uh, So crazy, isn't it? Yeah. If you, if you're getting an insurance policy, make sure you look out for pandemics now. So that was cancelled and then they were shutting down flights to Australia. So it was like you have seven days to get out of here or you're potentially stuck here for X amount of time. And so there was so much up in the air and it just felt like um, there was no real way to stay because I also wasn't entitled to like any government support there. And so knowing how long it would be out of work and you know, if you get sick in that country, <laughs> it's crazy financially. I think I decided on like the 21st that I was coming home and had four days to like pack up my apartment and, um, you know, virtually, I guess, say goodbye to people that now I just never saw and didn't get to like you know, hug them, which is probably the most heartbreaking thing. It's just crazy, isn't it? What was the vibe like over there? Because in the beginning, Trump was so offhanded about the whole thing. And I mean, even now, is he really taking it seriously? But what was the general feeling and vibe? What were people thinking? I mean, LA is a bubble. Um, and so I think it, compared to a lot of places in the country and uh, certainly my circle, we were taking it seriously. Like the minute um, it was one of the first states to lock down and um, to my knowledge and experience, people were taking that pretty seriously Um but that's certainly not the case in a lot of parts of the country. Um, And I think a lot of times like a teacher sets the tone for a classroom or the parents, you know, in a way set the tone for the house. And so the president sets the tone for the country. And when you've got like a insane Dorito leading the country, it's really hard uh, to get anyone to, uh, or a lot of people to comply and do the right thing. And it was so unknown and, you know, we've never lived through a pandemic. So I think, initially there were people that didn't think it was real and all of that stuff and um, but my personal experience was that people took it seriously for a while and then they got tired of the pandemic yeah it feels a bit like that now with this second lockdown in Melbourne doesn't it I feel like people are just sick of it and just want to get back to normal life but it's just making things worse by them not just sticking it out a little bit longer I know it's so complicated because on one hand I understand it is it is exhausting this second wave has been surprising 
really challenging, um, just being hopeful, I think it's it's been a real knock. And I think we underestimate the impact of like the mental exhaustion of the constant inundation of new information and having to adjust and adapt to things that we've never had to before. Uh, it takes a toll. And so at um, for me, I think it's like day 139 or something like it's an extended period of time. So yeah. people are just tired of being resilient. Uh, so I understand that, but you also don't get to be tired of this. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. You talk about the mental exhaustion um, and, and mental health is something that you've always been incredibly open with on your platform, your social media. Mm-hmm. So if you can just tell us a bit about your experience with mental health. Yeah, um, it's definitely had um, a prevalence in my life, mainly in my younger years, but something that I um, now still need to like maintain and stay on top of. I kind of think of it like going to the gym, like you don't get to work out once and then you're in shape forever. It's like you got to stay on top of it and keep um, checking in and like maintaining that and learning what things kind of assist you in that. Um, But yeah, when I was um, younger, I did like elite sport and um, have always been, I guess, uh, like perfectionist, high achiever type thing, um, which is a great skill set if you channel it into something positive, but can also be super detrimental if you don't know how to rein it in when it needs to. Um, So I had um, trouble with eating disorder and um, that in my younger years, which I now know to understand was like a coping mechanism because my world felt out of control. And so food was a thing that I was able to control and feel like, um, I guess, used to navigate things that were too painful. Uh, And um, I didn't know that at the time, obviously, but now, yeah, Yeah. that's become a real clear thing of like, oh, uh, that was your way of navigating the world when things felt too painful or scary, you would um, fall back on food to kind of um, numb emotions or um, at least moderate the way you're feeling just as alcohol or drugs or sex or all of those things can be used. They're all, um, you know, kind of coping mechanisms, um, albeit not the most um, functional one. It's still yeah. a way that like kept me alive when I didn't know any other way to navigate the world. Um, so in a way I'm grateful for it because um, it was the skills that I had at the time. And thankfully I've learned better skill sets now to navigate those like um feelings so when did you realize that you know that that there was a a real issue at hand and that you needed to sort of change and adapt a new skill set um you know I wish I'd realized earlier it turns out I'm painfully slow at learning (laughs) so probably took like five or six years of like varying levels of impact on my life but um you know, disordered eating, whether it was like too much or not enough. Um, and kind of being like, why do I do this? Who knows? I'll just like keep trying to, you know, eat or exercise or whatever and not looking to what the like root issue was. Because in a way that's like a band-aid on top, but it's not like why the thing is happening. Um, and it was only when I was like, this doesn't seem to be working and went and got, you know, help from a therapist to finally understand what was going on then it was like, oh, okay, it doesn't solve it, but at least I know what I'm like fighting or what I'm trying to figure out. And that like knowledge is power in that sense. Yeah, I definitely, like I've suffered anxiety my whole life and just 
even just knowing like if you suffer a panic attack or something, knowing that, okay, this is a panic attack, just having that knowledge of this is what it is, this is what I'm experiencing, I feel like it is easier when you just recognize what's going on. Absolutely. Like I I guess it gives you like a sense of control because you're like, I know what this is rather than something that's unknown and you're like, how is this happening to me or what's going on? And Or if I would feel sad, I would be like, well, I guess this is just forever. Like I just, you know, I'm broken or whatever. Whereas now it's like, oh, if you have a sad day, I know that they pass or I know that that's okay, which I think is a huge thing too. Like a lot of us have been brought up to be like, the goal is to be happy. And if you're sad, someone's like, what do I do? Like, what can I do to make you feel better? And it's like, actually, it's important for me to be sad and express that and then like be able to move through it rather than you know, feeling like you shouldn't be feeling that way or you're crazy if you do. Um, so yeah, just all those things are okay and that they pass is like so useful and helpful. And I mean, sharing on, on social media as well is is really great in terms of trying to break the stigma. Um, I did a previous episode of the podcast where I spoke about my postnatal anxiety and there's all this work of, you know, the hashtag it's okay not to be okay and all that sort of stuff. Recently in the news we've seen Kanye West have a pretty significant meltdown um, and it's been re-reported that he suffers from bipolar. Britney Spears is another one who there's all this concern about her mental health. And for me, sitting here as someone who has suffered from anxiety, I find it incredibly concerning that so many people trivialise and make fun of these public meltdowns um you know there's memes of of Kanye you know calling Kim and Chris Regina running try like there's just all these people poking fun and and to me it feels really disappointing that that people trivialize it and poke fun at what is clearly a mental breakdown mm-hmm. how do you feel about it um firstly I want to say you're a postnatal um anxiety episode was so good and thank you for being so like open and vulnerable and honest I think like I'm not a mum and I felt really like um touched by it so I can only imagine how helpful that episode was um but I just feel like it's not our business like mental health is such a personal thing I feel like it's really helpful if people want to share their experience to like you said reduce um the stigma around it but it's your choice when and if you do that. And it's so easy to sit on the outside and judge someone. It's so easy to um, come at it from that angle rather than trying to like empathize and understand Mm -hmm. what might be going on in someone's personal life. And I just find it so strange that because of someone's job, people feel that they're entitled to um, an opinion or to be able to make judgments about that. And, um, like I know, and you know this too, like you enter into these jobs knowing that you're going to be in the public eye and stuff. And so totally understand that. But at the same time, it just frustrates me because I'm like, just leave them alone. Like everyone's just trying to live their life and mental health doesn't discriminate based upon your profession or your income level or anything like that. Um, You do have access to um, probably more therapy and things like that than someone in a lower socioeconomic um, group. So I'm not an idiot. I understand that. But I just, we, we need to do better because ridiculing someone at a time of crisis or in, you know, a really challenging time of their life is so damaging. And the power of our words and 
um, you know, social media has so much to answer for because it's so easy for people mm -hmm. to like, spit fire without thinking of the consequences. And I just don't think it's our place to talk about, you know, someone else's like struggles like that. Yeah. But do you think it's hard? I mean, Kanye had this meltdown at a at a rally that he was holding to try and become president, which to me that's just like, my God, Kanye's running for presidency. And then he 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 posted all these things to Twitter. So yes, there's this there's this side of it's none of our business, but he's also posting this to such a public forum. So where's the line of like do people just not comment on it? Like what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, that's an impossible um, thing to think that people not comment. Um, God, my, it's a great question. And I don't know that um, I have the answer other than I'm like, what are the people in his life? Like what's his support system like? Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like perhaps not getting the support that he needs um, because like, these are things that shouldn't be being broadcast on the internet. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know, but it certainly isn't helping him by doing like, by having people comment on it, but you're right. Like he's putting it out there into the public space. Mm -hmm. And so you post something, you know, you're opening yourself up to whatever the internet decides. Um, yeah. I feel like uh, I am worried in the sense that it doesn't seem like his support system is really um, doing what they could for him right now. And I just think it's it's potentially really dangerous as well for people sitting back watching this and watching him being made fun of and made, you know, being ridiculed. And if someone's sitting there mm -hmm. suffering from bipolar or mental health issues and they're seeing him being ridiculed, how does that make them feel sitting there? You know what I mean? Totally. It wouldn't make you feel like, oh, I can tell people about my issues and they're going to respond in a really supportive and yeah. compassionate way. You'd be like, people will like vilify me or, you know, make fun of me. So, yeah, you're so right. Yeah. That's like incredibly damaging beyond Kanye, but the example that it's setting for other people. Um, I hate that. I don't know what the answer is other than like all of us need to really think about the way we respond to these things, because like we ultimately can't control Kanye, yeah. but we can control how we individually respond to it. And I think like trying to humanize a person behind um, an idea or an image, like it's pretty easy to not connect that like he is a person or you or I are a person. Because yeah. um, I think people connected those dots a little more. They wouldn't write some of the things because you wouldn't say that to your sister yeah. or your friend or things like that someone in person but I think um a celebrity or a, like a concept of a person is easier to kind of drag yeah. than um an actual other human so it's like just trying to humanize uh and you see it in like sports and stuff like people are so mean to athletes and I know they're all athletes and stuff but like they're still a person they still go home to an apartment and like cook dinner themselves and yeah. like like everyone at the end of the day is just a person and I think your job shouldn't mean that you are entitled to be attacked. Yeah. I just think, yeah, you're so right. And there's this this thing about social media is that people aren't held accountable for the words that they leave on someone's feed and there's no consequence for yeah. leaving, you know, 
a, a, a death threat or telling someone to go kill themselves. There's no, there's no consequence for doing that. Yeah. And like you and I are grown adults and like nine times out of 10, if someone says like something crazy on the internet to me, it doesn't worry me. I feel more sad of like, what has happened in your day or your life that you feel that you need to say this to me? I know. But if yeah. it's that 10th time where I'm having a bad day or like something's gone wrong and I'm sitting in my apartment and then suddenly someone is saying that like you like you should kill yourself you don't deserve to be here like that's it can catch you and surprise you and you know like I said we're adults like what does this mean to kids in like in school that their bones aren't fully like I can barely cope with it and I'm a grown-up you know so it's so scary for the next generation just like how flippant people can be with such crazy um language Mm. And a point that you just raised just then when people are sitting home alone in their apartments and, and reading these things, that's something that we're all doing a lot more of is is being alone and sitting with ourselves. How are you looking after your mental health in this time? Because it's really important. What a great question. <laughs> um, I think the biggest part is like, recognizing that this is an unprecedented time like you can't apply the same rules and expectations to yourself and to your life that you would have had prior to this because like it's a different game the rules don't work on this new game um so trying to know that taking care of um like my health and my responsibility to my community is my number one job by you know staying home wearing a mask all that kind of stuff um and that kind of things beyond that are um, a bonus. Uh, but day by day, um, not thinking too long term, because the minute you start uh, trying to push out and like imagine what life is in the future or make plans for the future, I think that can be really anxiety provoking. Um, so just one day at a time, uh, limiting the amount of news I consume, because um, I can just like sit on Twitter and keep refreshing and um, and all of a sudden I'm just so, you know, overwhelmed and freaked out and trying to stay connected because it's so easy to feel really isolated and alone and kind of like helpless and hopeless. Um, and I find that if I start to pull away and not actively try and keep connecting with like my friends and things like that, um, then I get sadder. So you have to work hard and like zoom isn't as fun we know this uh but it's i think is better than the alternative um but yeah i i don't know some days i feel like i'm getting the balance right and being able to take care of it and other days i'm not i think not expecting it to be perfect every day like and even if within days like you're gonna have happy moments you're gonna have um deflated moments it's going to be up and down and just like trying to ride that wave and be kind to yourself when you don't have as much energy for other things and then um, enjoying the peaceful moments in between. Yeah. And you started this amazing initiative, um, Heroes Wear Masks, Not Capes. And I was just so, you know, proud and happy to see that because it's like I love it when people use their platforms for positive things and you do a lot of that. But this particular initiative was really encouraging people to to wear masks. So where did you come up? Well, how did you come up with the idea? Um, firstly, that's so nice of you to say and thank you so much for participating in it and putting your face um, and I guess like 
brand behind that because you do have an influence over a lot of people. And so I think that's amazing that you wanted to be a part of it. Um, but I think, I mean, a lot of it, I was like, I just feel hopeless to be able to help. And I don't really um, understand or feel maybe um, that I deserve to have the platform that I have. Like, that's a whole other conversation about feeling like an imposter. I just use that for some sort of like good um, where I can and I have the ability to be able to reach um, people. So I thought like, what can I do to try and encourage that like wearing a mask is a positive thing, like change the narrative around it rather than like, I'm having my freedom taken from me, change it into like showing the people around me that I care about them enough to do this minor inconvenience of wearing some cloth on my face. <laughs> what about high heels? Women have been wearing high heels that are like genuinely uncomfortable for no good reason forever. <laughs> it's so simple. Um, so yeah, I just like was trying to be like, maybe making it seem slightly cool to wear a mask um, and help people see that like, this is a positive thing and it'll help us get out of this faster if we all just, um, you know, are in it together. Yeah, that's so important and so true. And I think very, very nice to um, finish up on. So thank you, Amy, so much for your time. I've loved having a chat. And um, how can people find you on, on Insta if they want to um, swing over to your page? Um, so my Instagram is Amy Louise Ruffle. Uh, right now I'm watching a lot of um, the World Gymnastics Championships. <laughs> uh, so I've been posting about that because that's where we're at in quarantine. I'm YouTubing old olympics because the olympics were supposed to be on and i'm really sad that <laughs> um so yeah for exceptional content like my opinion on suppose oh my god i can't even talk to my biles who is an absolute hero um that's fine <laughs> amy thank you so much for your time and i'll speak to you soon yay thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'll be back next week with another episode of the She Does This podcast. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search She Does This. Give us a follow and keep up to date with the latest from the site. Have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.